Our reading this morning is from the letter of the Philippians, reading from chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be back in worship uh, with you. You can tell I'm a little out of it because I walked up during the walk-up music um, presentation video. Actually, it's been two weeks since I preached at ECC. Did you notice? Did anybody notice? No? Uh, the first one I had off, and since I only work one day a week, so I've had a two-week vacation, right? So the first one was snow. We canceled. The second one, I was out of town. Um, so here I am back again, and it's, it's great to be um, back up here with you. And we renew, at least I renew, um, my uh, sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, which of course comes from Galatians chapter 5. I've mentioned uh, what I'm about to say in, in multiple ways over the years, um, but I love Bloomington, and I, I love Indiana. One of the things I love about Bloomington, of course, is the university, but also that on any given day, within five minutes of this location, I can drive through a cornfield. They're all around us, right? That's Indiana. I'm not a farmer, but I love farming. I love the change of seasons. I, I go back by some cornfields every day into work. And I like every stage of the year. I love looking out when the corn is all gone and the stalks are just decaying in the soil and the snow piles up and sometimes it disappears and goes back down and I love the look of the whole thing. I never had any experience as a farmer. Didn't grow up on a farm, my wife did. But what I did experience as a young man was working with a horticulturalist in South Florida. And I learned a good bit about plants, that is tropical vegetation, and the kinds of things that make plants grow well. And one of the things I learned was how to cultivate an orange crop. In other words, citrus trees. What kind, of, what kind of soil and what kind of conditions does it take to make a citrus tree produce great fruit? Well, first it requires uh, things like pruning. At the end of the season and when the harvest was over, which was about this time of the year, we would do a radical pruning of all our fruit trees. It looked like we'd killed them. There was hardly any leaves left, but was... 
essential for their producing fruit the next year. We would also make sure that the soil was correct. Um, Soil has to be of a certain type in order for a citrus plant to grow well. It can't be heavily dense or a lot of acid in the soil, and it has to have certain nutrients. It can't be too sandy or too dense. It's got to be just right. One of the things we did is we would clear out all the weeds or the grass around the trees, and every tree had a large circle under which we would place mulch, and that would be a natural form of fertilizer. But above and beyond that, we would watch the trees daily to determine the health of the tree and what the tree needed. And here's what we would discover on occasion. We would discover that a tree was deficient in iron. You know how we knew a tree was deficient in iron? If this slide will advance, I'll show you. Oh, if I turn it on, it'll work better. Okay. That's how we knew. That's what a leaf of a citrus tree that's deficient in iron looks like. Notice the dark veins and the sort of pale color of the leaf? That means it needs iron. Now, if you were an orange grove owner, thousands and thousands of trees, it would be harder to regulate than it was for us. We only had 25, and we would go out, literally, with our hands and spread iron around the tree. Here's another picture of a tree that's deficient in something in its soil. That leaf, same orange tree description, that leaf is deficient, is showing a deficiency in magnesium. Notice how it's very dark in the center, then light on the outside. You don't see the veins popping out like you did in the previous picture. So what we would do on that occasion is we would spread magnesium around the tree. We would water it, it would get the proper nutrients, and then it would be a better tree. So if soil and conditions and all those sorts of things are necessary to produce a good quality fruit in a citrus tree, well, what is necessary to produce the fruit of the Spirit in the life of one who calls himself or herself a Christ follower? In other words, today, let's just focus on one part of the many fruit joy. The question is, by analogy with these pictures, what's the source of joy for the Christian? What's the soil that produces joy? And my suggestion is that one thing that is necessary in the soil of our lives to produce joy, according to the Scripture, is, I'm just using one word, presence. Now, of course, you may wonder why that word. It's very simple. What I mean is the presence, the real presence of Jesus Christ in our life. That is the source of joy for a Christian. The presence of Jesus Christ. You may remember if you're uh, thinking about the New Testament with me here for a moment. 
that the disciples were very anxious when Jesus was about ready to leave the earth. And in John chapter 14, they said, what are we going to do? How are we going to know what to do? How are we going to know the way? And Jesus gave them some insights. But before he left for the final time, he gave them some hope concerning the absence of his presence. And these are the words of hope he gave the disciples who were wondering about the absence of his presence. It's in Matthew 28. He said, I have a mission for you. Go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, share the good news concerning me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't worry, my friends. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I will be present with you. And my presence will be the source of your joy. This is a problem, uh, a, pro- a promise that Jesus gives the disciples. But you know the potential problem with the promise? Very simply, there are those who don't believe it. And in order to experience the presence of Christ, you have to believe in the presence of Jesus Christ. How could I experience the presence of someone when I reject them and say, I don't want you in my presence or I don't believe you're here for the right reasons? In order to experience the presence of Christ, which is a source of joy for the Christian, it's to believe in the presence of Christ. Now, you might say, you're just saying something that's obvious. Am I really? Or isn't it sometimes true that in the midst of our ordinary routine and our day, we forget that Christ's real presence is with us? Probably the time it's easiest to forget Christ's real presence in our life is during the difficult times. But Christ is present. And the source of our joy is to believe that every day, every hour of every day. That's why in Philippians, um, in the passages we just read, Paul admonishes those believers with these words. He said, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. Why? Because the presence of Jesus Christ is all around you. You live in the presence of Jesus Christ. He also says in Galatians chapter 5, which is the source of our series, The Fruit of the Spirit, he says in Galatians chapter 5, since we live in the Spirit, since the presence of Christ is all around us, since we live in the Spirit, we must keep step with the Spirit. If the reality is that the presence of Christ administered by the Holy Spirit is always with us, then we must live in step with the Spirit, which means we must live according to the dictates of Jesus Christ. We must obey Jesus Christ. We must not live 
after the flesh, but we must live in the Spirit. So what's the source of joy? The presence of Christ. The second source of joy, in one word, is perspective. What do I mean by that? I mean that if, in fact, we believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in our life, we should be transformed in terms of our perspective on life itself. If Christ is truly present, our perspective concerning everything ought to be qualitatively different than other people. How so? Well, how about the words of Paul once again in Romans chapter 8? He says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor principalities. Neither present, my circumstances now, nor future. Nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, my perspective is very focused. It's focused on the re eternal reality of all things present. There's nothing, says Paul, that's just material. There's nothing, says Paul, whether it's height or depth or trouble or death itself that can separate me from Jesus Christ. My perspective has been absolutely transformed. Paul believes the promises of Jesus Christ. And he incorporates them into his life. He incorporates them into his life in ways that most of us will never have to do. He incorporates them into his life in the midst of persecution. You remember that famous passage in Acts chapter 16, which, by the way, happened in Philippi from the epistle that we read this morning where Paul and Silas are thrown in jail and beat within an inch of their life. And in the middle of that beating, and at the end of that beating, in a dank, dark prison, they decide to do what? Not complain. They decide not to focus on their wounds. They decide not to focus on the circumstances that they're in. But instead they decide to praise God. And start, so they start singing in the middle of all of that pain, praises to God. And of course the prison doors open. The jailer comes in. And in the tradition of a Roman jailer who loses his prisoners, he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. Don't do yourself any harm, sir. He doesn't say this, but it's as though he says, don't do yourself any harm, sir. Because you can't even really harm us. Nor can the Roman Empire. Nor can principalities or powers, nor can anything, height or depth or any creature. None of it can touch our souls. And that's why we have this perspective and we sing. 
That's why Paul also pens these famous words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purposes. If I truly believe this, and it's been promised in Jesus Christ, it gives me an eternal perspective on material reality. Again, can I quote Paul just one more time? He's the author of Philippians. and He also says in Philippians, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. First of all, I don't need everything because I have everything. Second of all, when things are taken away from me, I have an eternal perspective that God will supply all my needs, all my needs according to his riches and glory. So the first two sources of joy are presence and perspective. And the third source of joy is praise. Praising God in all circumstances. We don't have to stay to the New Testament or stay to the author, namely Paul, to find this kind of information, though The New Testament is replete with these things. We can remember the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which remind us in Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. The prophet, understanding the dire strait of Israel at the time, says, though the fig tree doesn't bud, that would be a horrible day for a fig tree not to bud in Israel. Though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vine, again, an awful day. And though the olive crop fails, there could be nothing more catastrophic than those three agricultural plants not doing their job. You couldn't go to Blooming Foods to get it from somebody else. Well, I shop at Blooming Foods. Um, Kroger, if you will. If the olive crop failed, if there were no grapes, if the fig tree did not bud, you had virtually nothing Then he goes on to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Or the psalmist puts it this way, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. In Romans chapter 5, we hear these words again from Paul. We continue, this by the way is a, a paraphrase done by Eugene Peterson in the message of Romans 5, 3 through 5. I love it. It says, we continue to shout our praises even when we're hemmed in by trouble because we know how trouble can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for what God will do next. So in the midst of all of life, one of the sources of joy is exercising praise. This is the proactive part of it. You can believe in the presence of Christ and really not do that much. You can believe in the presence of Christ and it can be overwhelmingly 
comforting. You can have a perspective on eternal things and it can be all but invisible to other people. But you can't be quiet when you praise. This is the proactive component of the source of your joy. In other words, how to have joy to rejoice, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. You want to see the fruit of joy in your life? Be proactive in your rejoicing and your praise of God. It is so difficult to molly grub when you're praising. It's very difficult to think about your circumstances when you're praising. One of my favorite memories is uh, when my children were young. Of course, I got a lot of favorite memories when my children were young, and now they're all gone. And I miss them. But I have these memories. One of my favorite memories is when I would do something with my kids when they were very young. Like, throw them up in the air and catch them on the way down. I used to grab them by their arms and they would grab my wrists and I would just swing them around in circles until I was so dizzy I would fall down. Or I can remember especially my daughter on this one pushing her down a very long sidewalk as a graduate student at Yale. It was really long. And at the end of that sidewalk was a very busy street. And I would give her a push, and she would just kick those fat little legs until she just picked up all kinds of speed. And I would race ahead of her at the end of the sidewalk and grab her by her shoulders when she arrived. And on that occasion and other occasions, you know what my kids would always do? They would always say, do it again, Daddy. Do it again. But honey, I can't stand up. I'm so dizzy. Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. There's a wonderful psalm, a, a group of psalms, called the Songs of Ascents in the Psalter. And one of them is Psalm 126. And in Psalm 126, the people who are walking to Jerusalem, which apparently this was the tradition, you sang these songs on your way to your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would sing these songs. And Psalm 126, among other things, says, God, we remember when things were good. We rejoiced. There was laughter in our mouth. I'd never do this uh, because I don't feel qualified. But I did it this week. I translated a phrase from that psalm. And here's my translation. God, you gave us songs of joy once before. Our mouths were full of laughter. God, do it again. God, do it again. That's part of praise. Remembering, thanking God for what he's done, and honestly, asking him to do it again. So if that's the source of our joy, what do we do to cultivate it? What do we do to make it happen? 
four quick things, and this is the conclusion. We have faith. Let me put it differently than you might ordinarily think of faith. We don't stop believing. In the midst of life, we refuse to give up. We say, I will remember, I will believe, I will not doubt. Let doubt creep into the crevices of my being so deeply that it ruptures my joy. I refuse to stop believing in God and his goodness. The second thing is repetition. We say what we know to be true, especially when it doesn't feel like it's true. We say what we know to be true over and over again. We repeat the scriptures. That's why the scriptures are so incredibly important to hide in your heart so they can be repeated over and over and over again because their words become you. You have to enter into them. You can't just let them lay statically on the page. You must incorporate them into your life and repeat those words over and over again. And continue to praise repetitively. And third is remembrance. You have to remember. As a kid, I grew up in a church where we had a tradition called Wednesday night prayer meeting. We didn't do much praying, although we did some. What we did mostly was testimonies. And in this church, people would stand up and they would testify. They would talk about what God had done in their life. Sometimes the past week, sometimes a memory from 40 years ago about God's faithfulness and goodness they would call us to remembrance. We got to remember in order to cultivate joy. And the final thing is we have to pray. We must pray. Let me put it more directly. In this context, I think it's a good idea for us to pray that the fruit of the Spirit will ripen in our life Pray for it. One of my, if not all-time favorite pastor theologians, hands down, is John Stott. He passed away not so long ago. He was an Anglican pastor all his life in London. And John Stott had a prayer that he prayed every single morning, every single morning when he woke. And I want to share part of that prayer with you for, for two reasons. One, to emphasize the point that we must pray. But two, not unlike what we did when I did a series on um, the Lord's Prayer and one on Psalm 23, we would read those words over and over again every week. I, I want us to read these words at the end of every sermon during this series. And, and here they are. I'd like you to read them with me. OK? 
Okay, I got it. Or he's got it. I think I messed it up. So will you read along with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'll let you do it. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray this day you fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the presence of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the source of our joy is to believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in our life. We thank you that because of your presence, we have a different perspective on life. It's an eternal one. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us the instruction, the command, really, to be joyful and to praise. So as we walk through this week, Lord, may the soil that we have been planted in, the soil of the Spirit, produce in us the fruit of the Spirit so that everywhere we go, we may reproduce Jesus. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.